Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Effortless Swimming podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest. I've got Chloe McArdle on the line, who's one of Australia's top marathon swimmers. She's done the fastest crossing of the English Channel last year in 2011, faster than any individual or team. And she's only the second ever Australian to do a double crossing of the Channel. And in 2010, she won the prestigious 46-kilometer Manhattan Island race. And she's now training for the triple crossing of the English Channel, which would make her the first ever Australian to do it, and only the second person uh, in history to do it. So on the line, we've got Chloe. Welcome, Chloe. Hi, Brenton. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Well, um, what, what, uh, just to get into it, let's uh, let's start with how you got started in swimming because you've um, you've become one of the, the top marathon swimmers here in Australia. So how, where did it all start? Well, in grade six, we started school swimming for the first time and I didn't, uh, well, I'd never done s- swimming outside of school or at school, so I didn't know how to do any of the strokes. And I was a bit embarrassed because I was one of about three kids in my year level that didn't know how to swim. So I begged my mum to enroll me in private lessons, and she did, which was great. So I did school swimming and I did private lessons, just basic learn to swim, like, you know, big straight arms for freestyle and all that, and bubbles. And and then um, I, I really enjoyed it. I picked up all the strokes really quickly and within two years I'd started competitive swimming. And did you always know that you were going to become a distance swimmer? Is that what you enjoyed most about it, the, the longer stuff? Or did you think you'd be a competitive pool swimmer? Where did you, how did you become a marathon swimmer? Well, I started getting some good results in Butterfly for the 100 and 200. I was definitely a little bit better at the 200. And I enjoyed doing the 400 freestyle because that was much more stronger than my sprint event. So I was definitely always stronger as the distance got a little bit longer. But the way that competitive swimming really is set up in Australia, kids usually under 15 aren't really encouraged to do open water swimming. Now that's changed a little bit in the last few years since the 10-kilometre swim has been introduced to the Olympics. So because I was in a system that was we were really encouraged to do events between, you know, 100 and 400, I just did the 100 and 200 fly and I didn't really think much at all about open water swimming. I never did a 5K swim because of the state championships that was running back then or a 10K swim. It was just never really something a part of my program. But uh, coming back to sport as an adult, it's something that I discovered and I fell in love with very quickly. And and what's your training schedule like now? Are you training up for the triple crossing of the channel? So what sort of distances are you doing? How many training sessions are you doing a week? Yeah, well, I'm with a competitive swimming group, Melbourne Vic Centre. They're based at Albert Park. So I do a lot of my sessions with the national squad that I swim with. It's They've got a middle distance squad within that squad. So I'm doing kind of speed work and distance work, eight sessions with them. I do usually one or two sessions by myself in the bay, depending on if it's been raining or not. I also do two gym sessions working on 
strength and endurance and I add some Pilates in because my core strength is something that I really need to work on. So it's a pretty busy schedule, but it keeps me honest, that's for sure. <laughs> and so what's, uh, what's one of the hardest sets you've ever done? There's been some really horrible sets that um, <laughs> sprinters would probably um, definitely not enjoy doing. <laughs> Um, well, there's been, yes, yeah, some really tough ones. I think you interviewed Ollie Wilkinson a few weeks ago and he mentioned some of the, the big, uh, 10, one kilometer sets that we used to do. The one that sticks into my mind is one that I did where I used to train at Melbourne Grammar. It was a six K set and that included the warm up. And if you'd like to think of it as a warm down, cause there wasn't really one in it, but it was one K holding one thirty pace. One and then straight into one kilometer holding 125, and then one kilometer holding 120, then one minute's rest, then one kilometer holding 115 pace, and then straight into 10 100s on the 115. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I did it by myself because no one else really do, does distance swimming in that group or even super distance like <laughs> I do at the group I'm in now. So there was no company for any of this. And I was watching them doing sprints with like four minutes rest between their sprints. So I was very jealous of this <laughs> as I was in a lot of pain in the, the 10 100s on the 150 at the end. Oh, I can imagine. That's hard enough even even when you haven't done 4K or 5K before that. Yes. So, well, it was short course too, which is a, made it a tiny bit easier than a long course session. Yeah, still a difficult set. <laughs> yeah. And you do you do quite a bit of training in the bay leading up to your... Uh, your marathon swims. So, uh, how far do you normally go when you're doing some bay swims? Yeah, it's really interesting because when I'm leading up to a big swim like the Triple Channel or even the Rottnest swim I did recently, which is 20, 20 kilometers, I'll actually adjust my training. So, I'm going to do leading into this Triple Channel long swims in the bay between two hours and six or eight hours. And that length of time will depend on the water temperature because I'm trying to get cold water climatization for the English Channel, which is between 15 and 17 degrees, which is really cold. But once the water temperature in Melbourne drops below 12 degrees, there's no point in me trying to punish myself in the water because it, that'll just make me sick. So I've got to be really clever about how many hours I'm in the water relative to what the water temperature and the air temperature is because it's open water and it's very volatile to weather conditions and rain and all those sorts of things. Yeah, there's not every uh, you can't swim in there every day, can you? If there's been a lot of a lot of rain, uh, because the bay isn't that clean, is it? And you you want to keep yourself healthy and and being able to train at a, a good level. Um, yeah, you do get runoff after rain. Yeah. Yeah, and what uh, what other things do you do to prepare yourself for the bigger swims? Well, I've kind of touched on some of them. The cold water climatization is really important for me because my major swims are cold water swims like the English Channel. And unless your body's used to that really cold water, then it's going to get the fright of its life and it's not going to be able to perform. I need it. My body needs to understand how to swim fast and strong in cold water for long periods of time. And swimming in a swimming pool when most of them are between – you know, 26 to 30 Celsius is is very different to trying to perform at 15 to 17. So getting out in the bay, like we mentioned, those long swims, that really helps. Uh, I also increase my volume leading into longer swims because if I want to do a triple crossing in this channel, which is 112 kilometers as a crow flies, that I really over a week in training should be able to get close to that distance if I want to be able to do it continuously 
on one and a half days. So I, my body needs to be able to tolerate a high amount of volume, but I can't do that all year round because I'll just get run down. Yeah. Well, that's um, yeah, that's that's really smart. Acclimatizing to the colder water because I mean, at, this morning at training, the um, the pool was probably one or two degrees colder than normal, and I noticed that the guys I was coaching, they were their times were a little bit off just because of that slight change in water temperature. So, um, if you're swimming in seventeen degree water um, compared to twenty seven degree water, then y- your body really has to get used to it and know what it feels like. Yeah, well, you, first of all, your body is focused on maintaining its core temperature and it's not really that concerned about things like swimming. So the more cold, cold water conversation you do, the more your body doesn't need to fight the cold water and it can really focus on the swimming that you want it to focus on. Mm. And what, uh, what parts of your technique do you focus on in training? That's funny because since I've moved recently, I have about 15 things to think about in my freestyle. And I try not to think about them all at once because then I don't go very far at all. <laughs> but some of the main ones I'm working on are alignment of my body. So some of the body position work that people listening to this may do themselves in their own squads. I often find that when I do an open water race, which happened recently after the Rottnest 20 kilometer swim, my technique actually alters because in the open water swim, I kind of adjust to the conditions of the day, the swell, the tide, uh, all those sorts of things, and it alters my technique. I come back into the pool and my technique's gone out. So what I've had to do in the last week since I've been back from that 20-kilometre swim is get used to having really good technique again. I've got to keep my head quite low when I breathe rather than lifting it right out of the water, which I tend to do sometimes. And other things as well, I rotate my hips too much. So I'm working on that stability there. Of course, you've got to have a bit of hip rotation, but trying to keep the more stable trunk, which is something I work on in the Pilates as well. And as look, there's lots of other technique points, but I don't want to bore your listeners too much. <laughs> no, I, I, think, um, I think a lot of the guys who listen to this, uh, they, they really love the, the technique side of things, just finding different ways to get faster and and things to focus on. So there's some really good points you touched on. The the hip rotation, I'm, when I've been coaching people, I notice a lot of people either don't rotate enough or they over-rotate in the hips. And um, what a lot of the top squads are coaching now is you rotate a little bit from your hips, but most of it comes through in your shoulder rotation. Yeah, and the funny thing is uh, we've got some really interesting footage towards the end of my really long swims where I've been swimming 20 hours plus and you just see my technique just fall apart and one of the first things to go is my hips. They start swaying really badly. So they're the things that I know I've got to really concentrate on. So maybe some of your swimmers, if they are marathon swimmers and they have footage of them swimming towards the end of their swims when they're tired and exhausted, Maybe they can have a look at that footage and see what they can take out of that and show their coach, maybe if they've got a coach, show them to see what, what aspects are really important for them to work on. Yeah, great point because when, you, when you're tired, when you're fatigued, that's when all the, the errors in your stroke come out. So even at the end of a, a hard session, you'll notice that you, you know, your, your head might come up or you, you know, your elbow might be dropping in the pool. But, but when you're tired, that's when you can see um, where you where your faults are in the stroke. So after a 20-hour swim, I can imagine everything just comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nowhere to hide in the channel. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. 
how do you how do you prepare yourself? Oh, sorry, what um, what goes through your mind in the bigger swims? What do you think about? What do you concentrate on? Is it focused on swimming or is it off in la la land? I get this question a lot. Even swimmers in my own squad who swim between 400 and 1500 meters in their races, they can't even comprehend the swims that I do. And they ask me, oh, do you sing songs in your head? And, and what do you think about? And I'm like, I don't have time to sing songs in my head. I've got so much to think about. And I can make it, I guess, a little bit to describe what I'm thinking. It's quite similar to squad sessions that a lot of your swimmers would do. If, if you said to a squad swimmer, oh, jump in the water now, swim eight kilometres and then jump out when you're done. They would go, oh, my God, that's huge, or even five kilometres or four, four kilometres. We all need uh, little goals within a big goal to get us to our end destination. So if I was thrown in the English Channel in England and someone said to me, swim 112 kilometres, you'll swim three laps and you'll end up back here, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's huge. So what I do and what you end up doing anyway in squad training is you break up that end goal into small goals and I think about each crossing as a separate entity just like in in a swimming session you think about your warm-up and then when you've done your warm-up you've got your main set and you might repeat the main set or maybe you do a warm-down after that. So I think about my long swims, for example, my channel swim as as smaller building blocks within that overall goal. So when I'm swimming the English Channel, I'm thinking about my smaller goals each crossing, and I'm thinking about my technique as I'm going through, just like in your squad sessions. Hopefully your swimmers are all thinking about technique as well. So there's always things to think about. And there's always a, there's a few extra things that I'm particularly uh, concentrate on, really quick feeds. For those that are listening who are into marathon swimming, if you're doing races, the shorter your feed time, the much more quicker you're going to end up swimming in an overall time. So I try and keep mine under 15 seconds. But it's not uncommon for people to do feeds for like two minutes. So that's something that I, you know, think about. I think about my stroke rate and, and anything else that my support crew are communicating with me and just visualizing the end goal really. Yeah, that's a great point. But that's one of the common things that keep popping up when I interview people on the podcast is that, you know, I was talking to to Ash Delaney and Andrew Lauderstein. They all talked about focusing on little things within within their main set. You know, it might be the kicks off the wall or fast turns or something about your technique. And it's always breaking it down into smaller chunks. And when you've got 112 kilometers, you've got a lot of little small chunks there. So that seems like a very common thing for swimmers to do. I think that's a great point. And it also helps to prevent you going mad because it's a, it's a long time to be in the water and, you know, anything over five hours is really quite a long time. So when you stretch that out to, you know, 15, 20, 25 hours, 30 hours, your mind needs something to focus on. Otherwise, it's going to be a very painfully long swim. Absolutely. And you're, you're a vegetarian just like uh, Ollie Wilkinson. So what, what do you do to fuel yourself? What do you eat for, for training and for the big races? Yeah, Ollie's a vegan, so he's a little bit more stricter than me. I'm, I will have dairy and animal products, just stay away from meat and fish and poultry and all that. So fueling is something that's really important to me and I actually allocate a lot of time in my week to nutrition. So I see a biochemist who works uh, for Bioeffectives. It's a company and they – make supplements that I take uh, on a daily basis. And I even take during the English Channel, some of you might who are onto my blog might see that I talk about them a lot. 
it's really important for me to make sure I have a really high amount of iron in my system, being an athlete, being female, um, and just just needing it because I need oxygen delivery. It's really important for my swimming. So one of their products, Siberian Red, has a lot of iron in it, also has antioxidants and other nutrients that are really, really important for everyday life. So I find that's really good to help power me and for my endurance. So I take those supplements, but they also help me with my general nutrition as well. I mean, I have things, I take, I even bake foods now that I wouldn't have imagined 12 months ago, things like um, I make these buckwheat biscuits. Um, I have a lot of quinoa and all sorts of other more whole grain and nutritious foods, moving away from some of the white pastas or white rice, which you might have heard about um, is good for, you know, energy. But really, if you're looking at um, the energy part of your nutrition, you've got to move more to the whole grain, more the natural foods and it's more natural essence rather than a lot of this processed food that we keep getting um, pushed to eat by marketing companies and things like that. Yeah, so you find the the more natural products um, are a lot better for you to to fuel your body. Yeah, the the amount of carbohydrates that is useful for your body and for long lasting energy, I'm getting back to basically back to the basics and looking backwards in time to what we used to eat a while ago, you know, a few hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. What is more natural and what am I going to get more energy from, rather than a lot of the, the sports marketed bars or drinks on the market. So I'm definitely going for natural. Don't going for natural. And I've got my fastest channel swim swim ever last year. It was my third swim. And I know that I'm going down the right path. So I'm really happy with, with my nutrition at the moment. Fantastic. And the uh, the last question I've got is what I asked uh, Ollie this as well because he's a he's a marathon swimmer and I guess this is one of the probably the big questions you get as well is what motivates you to do these big swims? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've got a very high internal drive and I really want to be very successful at marathon swimming. And to me, that's not about being the fastest marathon swimmer because speed is, I believe, belongs in the pool. Marathon swimming in its pure essence is about going for longer and further than anyone has before and I want to do that in the English channel go further than any Australians done and I want to also take that to a higher level and go further than anyone has done in open water in general so basically beating the 112 kilometer longest open water swim at the moment that's a record and with a shark cage it's 197 kilometers so I'm working at the moment to organize a swim that will beat that as well. Wow, fantastic. So um, so where can people follow you, um, follow what you're doing and, and track your progress? Well, I have a website, www.chloemccardle.com, and that follows basically the, the blog follows my journey all the way, all year round through my training leading up to my races and some of the, the exciting things, the opportunities I get having a public profile and, and meeting the people that I get to meet in this journey. And I also have a Facebook page, which I'd update daily. So if you just search my name again, it's an athlete page. And and I love keeping in touch with people. Uh, people uh, email me or Facebook me questions about ocean swimming, marathon swimming, and I'm always happy to answer. So if anyone wants to reach out, feel free to get in contact with me. I'd love to share my knowledge and experience with, with anyone who's interested out there. 
Yeah, great. And I'll, I'll make sure to put those links in the show notes as well. And uh, if you're training for an English Channel Crossing or you're doing some bigger swims, then definitely get in touch with Chloe. I'm sure she'll, she'd love to help you out. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Chloe. It's um, great, great getting your take on things and uh, your experience and best of luck for your triple crossing in uh, later in the year. Thanks very much, Brendan. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.